Well, good evening, USF BCM. How are you doing tonight? Hey, man, I'm so excited to be here with you this evening. It's good to see a lot of familiar faces. And I just want to say, Jay, thank you for inviting me to open up God's Word tonight. Hey, as we get started, I'm curious, where are my flow-grown people at? So how many of you grew up in Florida? Hands up. All right, all right. So I am from St. Louis, so the big question growing up in that town is what high school did you go to? I'm not going to ask you that tonight, but I'm curious, for those of you that did grow up in Florida, how many of you by the time you had graduated uh, from high school had heard the name of an organization called Student Leadership University? Anyone? couple of people? Okay. All right. Well, my wife, she grew up here in Florida. She grew up over in Dade City. And during her time in high school, she had heard about this organization called Student Leadership University. She got connected with it. And I've had the amazing privilege now a few years, years later to connect with Student Leadership University. And for the last three years, I've been able to take groups of students and begin to walk through their uh, leadership development through this organization. So the vision of this ministry is to give students a 25-year head start on their leadership development. It was founded about three decades ago, and over that time, nearly 250,000 students have gone through this process where they go through four stages of leadership development. The first is SLU 101 over in Orlando, and this organization gives you kind of the foundation of leadership, the bare bones, the principles of how to be a leader. 201, you head up to Washington, D.C., and you get to sit under the teaching of generals, congresspeople, and other leaders of our nation as they talk about leadership. And during that time, they talk about the civic responsibility that we have to give back to our nation. SLU 301, you hop across the pond, you go to the UK, and during that time, you get to see some of the history of our faith, the English tradition of our Christian faith. And so you get to see monuments, and you get to see sites, and during that trip, you get to go to Normandy, where men from our country went and fought in World War II and laid down their lives so that you and I can have freedom. And then finally, SLU 401 wraps up in Israel, walking where Jesus walked and ministered and lived his life. This past summer, I had the incredible privilege to take a group of students with a couple of leaders to go to SLU 301. And as we made our way through the UK in different spots, these experiences impacted me as much as it did the students. And even though this journey through 301 was an experience-based time, each day there was at least one session where a leader came in and practically spoke into our life about how to lead effectively. The first night that we were there, a man named Graham Lacey came and he spoke to our group. Graham Lacey has been knighted by the queen. He served as counsel to her and he has spoken into the lives of nearly every American president since Richard Nixon. At 15 years old, he started his first company. And by the time he was in his mid-20s, he was a millionaire. He eventually went on to start an airline, and he became a very, very wealthy and influential businessman that served on the board of, only, of nearly two dozen publicly traded companies. And here's what he said the first night as he talked about his life. He said, I learned at a very young age that whatever I invest my life in, if it's not for the purpose and the glory of Christ, it doesn't have any meaning. And that hit me because that was a wise statement and a wise truth to come to that conviction at a young age. 
And what he told us the rest of that night is the rest of his life, after he had that realization, he tried to work as hard as he could wherever he was, but ultimately he pursued the righteousness and the wisdom of God over the folly of the world. That is what he devoted the rest of his life to, and God tremendously blessed him. Ultimately, he became close friends with Billy Graham, ministered with him all over the world, and he's made an incredible impact for Christ through that faithfulness. What we're going to see tonight is Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, who at a later point in his life had a very similar realization that all the things that I've tried to put my life in, all the things that I've tried to pursue, pleasure, wisdom, power, all of these things, aside from my pursuit of God, are ultimately meaningless. And what we're going to see as we walk through Ecclesiastes chapter 9 tonight is there's going to be a call upon your life in the same way that Graham Lacey has lived, in the same way that Solomon ultimately lived his life. You are called to pursue righteousness and the wisdom of God over the folly of this world. And what we're going to see at the front end of this chapter is that call to pursue those things. And by the time that we wrap up, we're going to see how that is better than the folly of this world. So I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we are going to pick up in verse 1. Listen to what the Word of God says. For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. So right out of the gate, Solomon proclaims a biblical truth that's reiterated over and over and over again throughout the Bible, and that is those who pursue the righteousness and wisdom of God on the basis of faith in the Lord are firmly in the hands of God. So you see this over and over and over again, and what begins that you also play out in the scripture is not only do you see that the righteous are in the hands of God, but that the wicked and the unrighteous are not. So Solomon, excuse me, Solomon is beginning to help us understand that those who pursue the righteousness and wisdom of God by faith are firm in his hands. But right after he helps us to understand this truth, he begins to help us observe and witness a dilemma that we who are in Christ, the righteousness of God, face. And that is that in the grand scheme of life, both the righteous and the unrighteous seem like they have equal outcomes. And there are even times where it seems like the unrighteous get ahead of the righteous. He says, For I considered all this in my heart so that I could declare it all that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. And so that's a fancy way of saying when we look at life and we see the righteous and the unrighteous, a lot of times their life plays out equally in certain respects. And when you think about death, all of us die. So that equals the playing field. And so when the righteous and the unrighteous look at the world, it's often difficult for them to understand if they are at peace with God. That's what he is saying here. And because of that, you walk around this campus and you meet many people who, because they've observed that reality, they have turned their back on God. And you experience other situations in spaces like this where people who are trying to genuinely pursue God in faith look out at the world and they struggle because at times it seems like the unrighteous get ahead. As I have gotten older in my life, this seems to become more and more evident. 
So when I was young, it seemed like good and bad were, were at play, and the good always came out on top. Movies that you watched, games that you played, the interactions that you'd maybe have with your parents or your parents' friends. When you did something bad, a consequence or a judgment was brought down on that person and things were made right. But as I've gotten older and I've done more life and experienced more things, I've begun to see that there are many times where it seems like the unrighteous get ahead of those who are genuinely trying to pursue God. I experienced this mostly in college, where at a time where God got hold of my life, he transformed me by his grace, I repented of my sin and became a follower of Jesus. I was looking around at all these people that weren't doing those things. They weren't pursuing God, but yet it seemed like they were in circles with more friends than I was. They were getting different internships and promotions and things, and it looked like they were getting ahead. And so it made me struggle, where is God in this? Why does the outcome of these two people's lives seem to be equal at times? Before we go on and talk about specifically how that happens, please don't hear what I'm saying. I believe that if you pursue God and the righteousness and wisdom that he's laid before you, there are going to be moments in your life that he is going to bless you. I've experienced that at points, and in those moments, I say, thank you, God, hallelujah. But there are going to be moments where it seems like that doesn't play out. And you have to ask yourself, where do I turn in this moment? So Solomon's beginning to help us understand this. And he's about to tell us specifically what this looks like in life. And in just a moment, in verse 3, he's going to call this an evil. He's going to say, as I look out at the world and I see that it looks like the righteous and the unrighteous have equal outcomes in life, and no one truly knows if they're at peace with God, this is an evil. But as I read this next portion of scripture over and over and over again, I think this might be one of the most freeing things I'm going to say to you tonight. Because what we're about to see is that even though the righteous and the unrighteous, their outcomes seem the same, God is still good. What I'm about to say to you is that there may not be an inherent advantage in pursuing Christ in this life in terms of how your life gets ahead or how you advance in this world. But I'm about to free you from one of the modern traps of pursuing God. And that is if you pursue God, he is going to bless you and he's going to give you abundance and he's going to help you to grow in the, the things that you're experiencing in this life, material prosperity. And ultimately, what you're going to see is that the choice that you're left with is, are you going to pursue God for who he is? Are you going to pursue God because of what he can do for you or because of his character and his nature and his holiness? And what I can tell you tonight is that God is worthy to be pursued because of who he is alone. He is glorious. He is infinitely holy. And you can pursue him because of that alone. Listen to what he says. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before him. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. So, he, so Solomon's looking out at the world and he's saying, the righteous and the wicked, it seems like their outcome is the same. The one who is good, the one who tries to seek after the law, the one who tries to honor the commands of God, the clean, those who try to be pure and follow the law, they have the same outcome as those who are unclean. 
to him who sacrifices, those who try to honor God and who does not sacrifice, as is the good, so is the sinner, he who takes an oath, as he who fears an oath. And this is what he says, this is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. And if the chapter ended there, or if the verse ended there, it would be an evil. It would be an evil if the righteous and the unrighteous had an equal outcome. But that is not where the story ends. And I want to remind you of a truth that I poured into your life just a few weeks ago, walking through Ecclesiastes chapter three. There is a day coming where Jesus Christ is coming back and he is going to judge the world in sin. He is going to judge the world in righteousness, and he's going to judge the world according to the standards of his holiness. So if you ever have a moment where you are looking out in the world and you see unrighteousness reigning and you're saying, God, why does it seem like it's equal? Why does it seem like it's unjust? I want, you to, I want to remind you tonight of that day. So if you need to just speak something over your life when you struggle in those moments, sometimes I do that. God, help me to look forward to that day. God, help me to remember that that day. God, help me to put my hope in that day. And here's just an an extra for you tonight. If you are talking to someone and they struggle as they look at the world to believe in God because they think that the righteous and the unrighteous have equal outcomes, if they look at the world and struggle because they see seeming evil in the world and they wonder where is God, point them to the judgment of Christ. Point them that even though evil reigns in this world, there is a day coming where one, the King of Kings is coming back to join, to judge the world. So he says, this is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. This is a really freeing verse because I've noticed in people that I talk to in every generation, they think, man, it's never been this bad. It's never been this evil. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. But I want to remind you that from Adam to today, evil and madness has reigned in this world. I don't need to remind you that tonight, but evil and madness reigns in our land. You look to our north, our neighbors up there, evil and madness reign in this land. If you look to the east, evil and madness reign in the land. If you look to the south, evil and madness reign in the land. And if you look to the west, evil and madness reign in the land. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So Solomon is reminding us the condition of the heart of every person in this world. And if that heart is not dealt with, and if the evil and madness that reigns in the human heart because of sin is not covered, is not transformed, is not changed by the grace of God, they will die and they will be forgotten. They will go to the dead and there is no hope. But I want to encourage you with this tonight. Pursuing godliness leads to a brighter future. Pursuing godliness leads to a different path. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Here is the hope of that verse. The reason that there is hope is because that person who is alive has the chance to repent of their sin, become right with God, and have a new destiny for their eternity. That is the hope of this verse. So I want to encourage you tonight. If you are in Christ, 
and you are looking at this world and you see that unrighteousness reigns and you're wondering where is the hope? Where is the justice? If you know the Lord, he knows the memory of you and he was a rewarder of the righteous. It is good to pursue God for who he is alone, but there are practical benefits to knowing the Lord. He knows your memory and he will reward you. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing and they have no reward for the memory of them is forgotten. So he's bringing the hope to the forefront tonight. He's saying for the living know that they will die. They have the opportunity to change their destiny by the grace of God, but the dead know nothing and they have no reward for the memory of them is forgotten. And you see this over and over and over again in the scriptures. The righteous and those who pursue wisdom by their faith, they are in the hands of God, but those who do not know him will die and their memory will be forgotten. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 26 and look with me at verses 10 to 15. In this moment, Isaiah, a prophet of God, is proclaiming and looking forward to the day when God is going to redeem the nation of Israel. And he's preparing their hearts with a song of salvation. And this is what he says, listen to this. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of a brightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemy shall devour them. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. O Lord, our God, masters besides you have dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead, they will not live, they are deceased, they will not rise." Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. So what Isaiah is preparing Israel for is that he's telling them, look, if you go out to all these nations that don't know God and you pursue the wisdom and righteousness of God above the folly of all the nations that are around you and you are a light to these nations, there are going to be many who still turn their back against God. But there are going to be some who are touched by the grace of God. And they are going to be changed. And we're going to turn the world upside down. And he is going to exalt our nation. And one day people are going to see that they are a light to the world. People are going to see that God has worked in and through their life. If you pursue God, you have a brighter future. God knows you. God remembers you, and God will lift up your name, just like he did the nation of Israel. And then it says this in verse 6, Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. If you are in Christ and you are pursuing God, this is not your future. This is not your destiny. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. The unrighteous, that is their destiny. But if you are in Christ, you will come back one day when Jesus Christ returns and you raise from the dead and you will rule with him, you will reign with him, and you will live on this earth forever. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. And in a moment, Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, 
inspiring him to pin this, points forward to the Messiah, the one who is coming, Jesus Christ, with maybe without even knowing it. Listen to what it says in verse seven. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Listen to this. Pursuing godliness leads to a life of meaning. The reason that I have meaning in my life is because there is a moment that I recognized that I was a sinner separated from God, turned my back on my old way of life, looked to Jesus and asked him to save me and enter my life. And because of that, my life has infinite worth and meaning. And listen to what it says. Go eat your bread with joy. The reason my life has meaning is because I know the bread of life. And drink your wine with a merry heart. The reason my life has meaning is because I have dined at the table of our Lord's Supper because he shed his blood on the cross. For God has already accepted your works. My life has meaning because Jesus lived a life that I could never live, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of the, of the Father, and the works he presented to the God were imputed to me on my behalf by his grace. Let your garments always be white. My garments are white because I have been clothed with the righteousness and the robes of Christ. And let your head lack no oil. My life has meaning because Jesus has anointed my head with oil in the presence of my enemies. This is the promise of your life if you are in Christ. Your life has meaning. And then Solomon, as he, done, as he has done with every chapter, gets to the practical. He talks about the big picture and then draws it back to life. So he's saying, how do you walk in the meaning that God has given you, the Lord? How do you walk in it? Listen to what he says. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. I want to remind you of this. When you recognize your identity in Christ and you're accepted in the Lord, the way that you begin to walk and have meaning in your life is accepting the responsibilities and the commitments that the Lord has entrusted to you. He says, live joyfully. That really means be present wherever God has placed you. So when you are a student on this campus, be present. Go all in with where God has placed you and trust his sovereignty. When you are at an, an employee at a business surrounded by lost people and you're asking, how do I reach these people? Be present. Ask God to show you how you can reach those people and be sensitive to the opportunities that he has. If you leave this campus and you begin to date someone and God calls you to be a husband or a wife, be present. Go all in with where God has placed you. And if he grants you the privilege and the joy of having children, be a present mother and father. Go all in. Live joyfully with the wife. I know that you all are in a season right now, some of you seeking the Lord, saying, God, are you calling me to a life of singleness? I am not downplaying that at all. That is an important calling. But the normative pattern for Christ's followers and those who are in the Lord is to be fruitful and multiply, to get married, to have children, go all in, embrace that, and watch how your life flourishes with meaning. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. All your days of vanity for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. 
I also know that some of you are in that season where you're like, hey, I can kind of coast and I don't need a job. But there is going to come a day where you need a job. So when you get a job, go all in. Work hard. Give it your all. Don't hold anything back because there will come a day where you will die, you will go into the grave, and you will not work on the earth. Listen to this, verse 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly under them. And we come back as we have in every chapter over and over and over again. Death, the most final and equalizing thing in the world. In the face of our death, everything we pursue is meaningless. It's the great, one of the great struggles of life. But what's amazing about what Solomon reminds us here is that even if you begin to step out in the meaning that the Lord has entrusted to you as a child of God, even if you begin to pursue the things that I just told you about working hard, being a husband or a spouse, being present in the callings that God has placed you in, that is not the ultimate aim. The ultimate aim is to know God. The ultimate aim is to experience God. The ultimate aim is to delight in God. And we see this over and over and over again. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. Listen to what he says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. The Lord delights in you knowing him. And what Solomon is reminding us here, even if you pursue great things, your meaning and your peace with God is not going to come because of your ability. It's not going to become because of your strength. It's not going to become because of what wisdom you have or what you've acquired in this life. It's not because of your favor. But ultimately, all of us one day will face the most final and difficult thing we'll ever face, and that is death. So as we think about where we've landed, at times it seems like the righteous and the unrighteous have equal outcomes. Even if we find meaning in our lives for a season, ultimately we will die. The conclusion of this chapter, Solomon reminds us that in the face of all of that, pursuing righteousness and the wisdom of God still has meaning. It still has value. It's still the highest way to live in this world. And sometimes, Pursuing godliness leads to unexpected recognition. Look at me in verse 13. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard. 
rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So to help us understand at the end why it is better to pursue the wisdom and righteousness of God over the folly of the world, Solomon unpacks a parable talking about a small city that is besieged on all sides by a great ruler, and the circumstances look bleak for the outcome. But there is one man full of wisdom that helps deliver the city. But even after he does that, the city does not appreciate him. The city turns their back on him. The city does not see the value of his wisdom. And what I want to remind you tonight is if you are truly and faithfully following God, you will pursue the the righteousness and the wisdom of God throughout your life. You're going to pursue godliness, but you are going to run into a lot of people over and over and over again that don't appreciate what you're doing. People are going to look at you and question, why are they doing that? Why are they living in this way? Why are they fashioning their life in those in those respects. And what I want to remind you is you don't know the, under, the impact that it can take for one person to look at you, see what you're doing, and recognize how God is working in your life. The people of this city didn't understand or recognize the wisdom of this man, but Solomon did. Solomon valued it. And he says, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised. The first night that we were at 301, Graham Lacey said, I learned at a young age that anything I do outside of pursuing the glory of Christ is ultimately meaningless. And for the rest of his life, he stepped out and he tried to attain the righteousness and the wisdom of God by faith. He worked, he labored, he ran companies. God opened incredible doors in his life, but one of the most incredible happened later in his life after many, many years of pursuing godliness. Out of the blue, he got a call from a representative of a man named Muammar Gaddafi, a dictator, a mass murderer, and the leader of Libya for nearly 30 years. When he got the call, he was taken back and he questioned, how could I even get this call? Why is he calling me right now? His representative asked if they could fly him from the UK to Libya to talk to Gaddafi. He processed the conversation and he said, I need to talk about, I talk about this with some of my associates and I'll get back to you. He began to talk to people that knew that situation and he asked his friends, if I go, am I going to be killed? And nearly every one of them said, yeah, you're going to get murdered. This is a terrible idea. You can't go. He processed it more. He prayed about it and he felt God's peace and release to go to this meeting. So preparing to board on a plane processing in his head that this will be likely the last time I leave my home country. He flew to Libya and was ushered in by some representatives into a compound of Gaddafi. He said he sat down and they began to talk. And very quickly, the conversation moved to a spiritual place. And Gaddafi said, I've heard of you. I know about your life and I know that you're a Christian. I'm a Muslim. 
but I believe that you want me to become a Christian. Why? And he said in that meeting for the next hour, he was able to share the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ, the reality that God is not a distant deity that doesn't want to know his creation. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to the earth, to live a life that you and I can never live, to never sin, to heal, to teach, to preach, and to go on the cross to absorb God's righteous wrath against sin upon himself. He said this Jesus died, he was buried. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering over sin and death. And he reigns in heaven today, and he extends forgiveness to all who would call upon his name in faith. In that meeting, Gaddafi looked at him and said, that's a different message than what I've read in my Quran. And in that moment, Lacey said he handed him a Bible. And he said, I'd encourage you to look at the Bible, look at the Quran, and compare the two, and pray to God and ask who you would follow. He left that meeting alive. He flew home. He said, I don't know with confidence if Gaddafi ever turned his heart to the Lord. But he said, I knew I was faithful. You will never know the impact that you will have on this side of eternity if you pursue the righteousness and wisdom of God above the folly of this world. But I recognize in this room that for some of you, you're at a place in your life where you're trying to attain those things I just said. The righteousness and the wisdom of God and your own strength, your own power, and outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you and encourage you with this truth tonight. You will never attain those standards. The Bible says that it is impossible to please God without faith. You must reach and aspire for those things by the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. But I know for others of you, you're in here, and this isn't even on your radar. You may not be in a place in your life where you are actively trying to see the right, seek the righteousness and wisdom of God. And what I want to invite you to do tonight is to close your eyes, to still your heart before the Lord, and ask Him why not. I want you to think about what I just said tonight. If you're in one of those two camps, and I want you to get this right with God. If you want to have a life of meaning, if you want to have a brighter future, if you want to have doors open for you to be a powerful witness for God, you have to seek after the righteousness and wisdom of God by faith. And the way that you do that is coming to the Lord over and over and over again, depending on Jesus Christ. But if you are under the sound of my voice and you are not yet pursuing those things, I want to invite you right now by faith to experience that truth.